So we're going to start from Luke chapter 10, verse 25, picking up where we left off last time. Luke 10, 25. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, a lawyer comes. This lawyer is, is, is not like we view a lawyer. This is a scholar in the Mosaic Law, in the Law of Moses. So this is the Law of Moses, the first five books of the, of the Bible, but looking at the 613 commandments. So these are scholars in this. So they, all day, they study this. So this scholar comes to him, but it's not out of a sincere coming because the, the text tells us he stood up to and uh, up and put him to the test. So this lawyer is coming to test Jesus. And so he says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What is it that I can do to inherit eternal life? What is and and this word here to do, this what can I do, is this the implication here in Greek is this explained is what is the one work that I do myself to get into the kingdom of God? You said, okay. You want to know what you can do to get into the kingdom of God? He says, let me ask you a question. So, very often you would ask Jesus, people would ask Jesus a question, He would answer it with another question. And He said to him, what is written in the law? You're a scholar of the law. What is it written? How do you get to the kingdom of God? How does it read to you? So Jesus takes him back to the text. Remember, as we study the Bible, we want to look at the text. I don't want to just read a verse and then just start telling you stories. We're going to look at what the text says. He said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? In other words, what's written and what's your understanding of it? And he answered, In verse 27 of Luke 10, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And so what he was doing, he was quoting from Deuteronomy 6.5 about loving God with everything that we are. And then he was quoting again from Leviticus 19.18 that you should love your neighbor as yourself. These are two disparate sections Two totally different books in the Old Testament. But these scholars distill the whole law of Moses down to this. The 613 commandments, boom. They distilled it down to this. This is what they did. So absolutely, they were right. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. You know, if if you look back in, uh, in Matthew 22, verse 34... Jesus was asked at one point by some Pharisees uh, what he viewed as the most important part of the law. And in, in Matthew 22, verse 34, But when Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together, and one of them, a lawyer, again, a scholar in the law, 
asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So this is actually what Jesus taught. The whole law and the prophets depends on this, that you love God and you love your neighbor. In other words, this book, this book doesn't work in the life of a person if they don't love God and love their neighbor. So everything depends on their loving God and their loving their neighbor. The whole thing depends on this. Jesus said that. Because God we must love with everything we have. And He says, you don't live in this world isolated. It's not good enough to just say, well, I love God. You've got to deal in a human way with other people. And you've got to love them as yourself. This is what causes many of us to have trouble. A lot of people say, I'm okay with God. Well, good, I'm glad you're okay. But you have a terrible time with people. And he calls us back that we need to learn to relate to other people. Jesus said everything, the whole underpinning of the scriptures depends on this. So back in, in Luke chapter, chapter 10, when this lawyer was asking him about this, this lawyer actually had the same answer. So these scholars of the law could break it down to exactly what Jesus said was the most valuable thing. He agreed. <clears throat> Jesus said to them, said to him, um, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. So remember the man said, what is the work that I must do in order to be saved? Jesus said, you got it right. Do this and you will live. But the word, the, the, the word do in Greek for this that Jesus said is, do it and keep on doing it. So in other words, it's not like you are nice to a person once that you've satisfied it. You've got to keep on doing it. If you want to work your way into heaven, here's how you do it. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. In verse 29, but wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So, he comes initially to test Jesus. All of a sudden, boom, Jesus turns the table. And this guy's on the defensive. He said, do this, keep on doing it, and... uh, You'll be okay. Well, why does a man have to justify himself if he's there to test Jesus? Because now the table is turned. And you justify yourself when you may have done something wrong. That's when you have to justify yourself. So he says to Jesus, okay, who is my neighbor then? You know, you want me to to love my neighbor as myself? Who is my neighbor? Because the Pharisaic teaching was, neighbor was a fellow Jew, period. That's it. Your neighbor was a fellow Jew. It wasn't someone outside of of, of the Jewish kingdom. So Jesus then goes and he tells a story. A common way that Jesus taught is rather than to initially instruct, he would tell a story. I do this sometimes with my children. They're doing something, I will frame a story. I'll tell them, I'll just make up out of my mind a story that somehow has an analogy to the situation that I want to get across. And then when I'm done with the story... I say, well, what do you think? When they say, well, that person should have done this. I say, okay, how do you think that relates to your situation? So what you do is you pull a person out of that situation where they're really frustrated and you relate to them differently about it. 
Nathan, the prophet, did this with David. David sinned with Bathsheba, had hardened his heart, had Bathsheba's husband killed. Nathan, the prophet, comes to him and Nathan tells him the story about a poor man who had one little ewe lamb. And that lamb was to him and to his children like a family member. Used to even sleep in their home. And he says a rich man came because he had a visitor. He didn't want to kill any of his own flock. So he took the poor man's ewe lamb, had it killed, and cooked it for his friend. David heard of that, and he was enraged. He says, that man deserves to die. He should pay four times back for what he's done. But he deserves to die. And Nathan said, you're the man. You have taken the wife, the wife of Uriah. You have taken this man's wife, and you have had him killed. And then David was caught. Because David had proclaimed the judgment upon this fictitious character saying he deserves to die, and that's when David realized. So, you see, this is a common practice, and that's what Jesus did. He takes this lawyer out of his situation, and he tells a story. This is the Good Samaritan story in verse 30, Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus replied and said to him, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him, and he went away, and they went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite also. He came to him to the place and saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and he came to him, and he bandaged up the wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put put him on his own beast, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day... He took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy to him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. Okay, so Jesus sets up this story, and there's three characters in the story that that see this this, story. this man wounded by the side of the road. But first he starts out, he says, a man. No description, just a man. The only thing we know is that it's not a woman. It's a man. A man, in verse 30, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. If you go from Jerusalem to Jericho today, the road is a winding road going down. You're at, I don't know how many thousands of feet above sea level at Jerusalem. When you get down to Jericho, Jericho is not far from the Dead Sea. You are, you are, uh, the, the Dead Sea is actually below sea level. And so you go a long way from up to down, and, it, and there's all these curves, and there's these rolling hills on all sides of you. People could easily behi- hide behind any hill, and you wouldn't know it, and they could come upon you. When you drive down that road today, you're going down this road, you're thinking, I hope my car doesn't break down, because this is desolate. I mean, if car breaks down and there's nobody going by in a few hours, we're dead without water here. I mean, it is really intense heat. And you're going down this mountain. And so the road is probably the same road as there is today. But now it's two lanes on each side, so it's a four-lane highway. Back then it was probably just a walking path, maybe enough for a cart. This man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. doesn't say who he is, anything about him. He fell upon robbers. They stripped him and they beat him and they were leaving him half dead. So they, they, they 
fell among robbers. They took everything. They took his clothes, too, because clothing had value in those days. We, they didn't have wardrobes like we have. Like, oh, I don't know. What am I going to wear today? I mean, you, you had your one outfit. That was it. And, and uh, uh, so they took his clothes, too. And they were leaving him half dead, which means that he was probably unconscious. So by chance of priests, so you have priests, you have Levites, so priests are, this, are, are, are all Levites, all priests are Levites, but Levites are not descendants of Aaron. They're, so, so they're all, all descended from this, this uh, uh, son called Levi, one of, one of the sons of, of um, uh, Jacob, Levi, and then Levi's offspring, one of those eventually was Aaron, those descendants of Aaron are priests. The ones who are not descendants of Aaron are Levites. They help out in the temple compound. Uh, but the priests were the highest class. Then you had the Levites. Then you had the common Jew. He uses two of those. He takes the priests. He takes the Levites. But then he takes the Samaritan. The, the Samaritans, remember, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jews weren't supposed to have business with Samaritans. Samaritans were somewhat mixed racially and ethnically and religiously. Because what happened was, when the Assyrians came in, they took, he, they took the Jews from the northern kingdom, had displaced them, took people from outside that kingdom, brought them in. That's what the Assyrians would do to conquer a land. So, say the Canadians came down and, 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 and you know, conquered the United States. They would take people out of the United States and set them in other places that Canada had also conquered, and then other Canadians would move in, and other people from other lands, they would move them in. That's what the Assyrians did. So these people were mixed up racially, they were mixed up ethnically, they were mixed up religiously. They only took the, the first five books of Moses, and they, they, they crossed out any reference to Jerusalem, and they put it in Mount Gerizim. And so the place where they worshipped was Gerizim. So the Jews didn't like them at all. And he says that the priest comes by, he sees this, and he moves to the other side. He says that Levite comes by, he sees it, and he moves to the other side. But then comes a Samaritan. And it says that this Samaritan, it, it, it says um, in verse 33, but the Samaritan who was on a journey. So this Samaritan is not just, you know, going out for a stroll. He was on a journey. He's a man with a purpose. It's not like he has nothing else to do says he was on a journey. He was going from Jerusalem to Jericho on a journey. He was conducting some business. He's a busy guy. He wasn't just on an evening stroll. And he came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. The man was moved out of compassion. He bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil in them to soften them. The sun would be so drying on someone who's laying out in the, in, unconscious in the sun pours oil on them, pours wine to disinfect them, and then he put him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And then the next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. And so Jesus asked the lawyer, so who do you think proved to be the neighbor? The lawyer could not even say a Samaritan. Couldn't bring himself to say Samaritan. So he says, in verse 37, the one who showed mercy toward him. You see, he didn't even want to say the guy's name. But here's the amazing thing about it. When a man is strict and a man is unconscious, you know nothing about the man. 
If a man has no clothes on and he's unconscious, you don't know if he's a priest, you don't know if he's a Levite, you don't know if he's an Israelite, you don't know if he's a Samaritan, you know nothing about him. Nothing. You can't make a value judgment, oh, this is one of my own, or this is one of my enemies. You don't know. You have no idea. When there's no clothes that are recognizable, the person's unconscious, so you can't tell by their speech where they're from. It is purely a value judgment based on a human being. It has nothing to do with religious class. Let me put it a different way. Remember what Jesus is doing? He's taking the man a little bit out of his context and telling him this story. So let's go out of our context. The first person who passes by is a Baptist preacher. And the Baptist preacher is a busy guy because he's got to get in some place and do some preaching. And where he's going is, a, you know, it's, I can rationalize for myself. I've I got to get to a good place, you know. I, I mean, I've I got a message to give. I'm justified in going by this guy. Plus, I don't know, even know who he is. Probably a bad guy himself. I mean, hoods always get jumped on by other hoodlums. This, this is what happens. So I justify myself. The next person who walks by is a college student. You know, we know college students are busy. In fact, college students are busier than anyone else in the world. They always tell you how busy they are. And, and, and you know, they've they got to get to... Uh, They've got to get to the, the campus group meeting that night. They've got to set up. That's their job. So it's really important. And I don't know who it is. I'm just a student. You know, students aren't expected to do anything but study. Do student stuff. And then, you know, run around on Friday nights and Saturdays and, and study Sunday night before the exam. I mean, that's what students do. Students don't take care of people. There's no expectation upon me. In fact, students don't even need to tithe. Because we're, we're, we're a privileged class. It's everyone else should tithe except students. Because, you know, whatever I have isn't really mine anyway. Yeah, sure, I go to Starbucks all the time. But you don't expect me to tithe on that, do you? You don't expect me to tithe on the money I have because my parents have given it to me. They've already tithed on it. So students don't have to do anything, right? No expectations on a student. I'm busy. You go by. The next person who comes is an illegal alien. Just driving an old jalopy, an old car, like illegal aliens drive. And this illegal alien comes out, and not out of a feeling of, oh, I owe somebody service, but it says, out of compassion. Very often, I will do things as a believer, because I feel obliged to do it because I'm a believer. This man had genuine compassion. This is where God wants us to be, that, Lord, I have no love for this person. Give me love for them. This is a constant prayer of mine. I know God calls me to something. He calls me beyond myself. And I need to have God work in my life to give me love as He loves people. I say, Lord, give me the love that You have for them. He, is pre he, he looks upon this man... And it says in verse 33, he felt compassion for him. This illegal alien, who doesn't even belong in that area, because that area is not Samaria, that's the southern kingdom. He doesn't even belong there. 
And he's a busy guy too. It says the Samaritan was on a journey. He wasn't wasting time. Plus, the Samaritan could be in trouble because Jews would go and take advantage of him because he's a Samaritan. He had all the reasons not to show compassion. He could have justified himself, well, you know, if they see me here with this guy, they're going to think I did it and they'll kill me. Plus, you know, those robbers could be hiding behind a hill and they'll see me too. What little I have, they'll take. He says he felt compassion on him so that the, the Baptist preacher wouldn't help, the college student wouldn't help, and he came and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Oh, I just happen to have plenty of spare wine. No, I mean, the guy doesn't have much. He's just an illegal alien. And oil was a precious thing in those days. So he's putting on oil. And, 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 and you, you, you know, you, you can't just pour on the oil. I mean, you, you have to work with these wounds. It's messy. It is messy when you're dealing. It takes, it, and, and then, so now he, he's, he's bandaging up and taking care of these wounds. He puts them on his own beast. So he puts him on whatever animal he had, probably some donkey or something. He puts him on him, and he brings him to an inn. It says on the next, and he cared for him. On the next day, so it says in verse 35, on the next day, so he spent all that day with this guy, all that night. On the next day, he takes out two denarii, two days' wage. Two days' wage is important to an illegal alien. Maybe not important to an energy trader, but to an illegal alien, it's important. Two days' wage. So say $200. He takes it out. He gives it to the innkeeper. He says, you take care of him. Let him stay in the room. If, he need, if this isn't enough, if the money I've given you isn't enough, you care for him. When I come back, I'll pay you. I'm coming back through again. I'll pay you back everything. To care for others takes money, takes time, takes a change of course. I'm a man on a mission. That's who Jim Tour is. I'm a man on a mission. And God says, no, you're going to do something different. It take, and and, and uh, I have to deviate from my own way when God calls me. Okay, so what does this mean? We don't normally see a lot of guys by the side of the road. Let me challenge you with something. All right, so, so in the colleges, or if you're at U of H, in the dorms, there are these people, and you see them, they come down to eat. And they sit alone. Or they come down to eat and they're even too embarrassed to sit alone and they take their food and they go up to their room. I challenge you to intercept them. To go and sit with somebody whom you do not know. My pastor always used to challenge us when we were in college in the discipleship program to sit with someone whom we do not know always used to challenge us with that, so that when I would go to the cafeteria, I would go and sit with somebody who I did not know, and just get to know them. It's not because I wanted to do this. Myself, no, I have my friends. I'm a busy guy. You know, fellowship is important, isn't it? But I would sit with someone whom I did not know, and make an effort to get to know them. I challenge you to do that. You work in a company, you got a cafeteria, go sit with someone whom you do not know. Do you mind if I sit here? I have never heard a person say, yeah, I, I mind if you sit down with me. 
Now I have heard, um, I have three people, other people coming. I said, oh, okay, I understand. But, uh, um, yeah, sure, sit down. And then we just start talking. You ask enough questions of a person and they'll start to open up. So where are you from? What kind of work do you do? And, 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 um, and just start to listen, start to hear them. Where'd you go to school? You can do that. Where are you from? What's your major? And just start to get to know someone. Remember, we have the same attitude as these people. This is my community. And if you don't have it in you, then you pray that the Lord grants you compassion because you have a message to share. You have a message. Because that person that is sitting alone is wounded and bleeding and half dead. And they are dead spiritually going to hell. And if you don't care about that, that is normal not to care. And I say to you, you pray. You add, here's, your, here's the prayer. You say, Lord, give me love for those people that I don't have. You give me your love for them. You give me your love for them. My colleagues ask me, why do you spend all this time with students? Why do you spend all this money with students? Buying this food and, and having them in your home. And why do you do this? What's in it for you? Because I love them. Because I care about their eternity. Because I care about how they grow in Christ. Not because there's anything in Jim Tour that really cares, but God has given me that care. That's why I do it. It takes money. It takes time. It takes people c- contacting me all the time. I, I want to get together with you. Okay, come on Sunday. If they can't come on Sunday, I'll meet them another time. Yeah, I'm a busy guy. I have papers to write and things to do and proposals to write. But you intercept your day. You change your direction. Because God has called you to something else. And it costs you money. It costs you time. This is what ministry is. And Jesus said, this is what it means to love your neighbor. This is not inherent within us. There are some really good people who are just naturally nice to other people. I know them. Some believers I know like this. Some unbelievers I know like this. And I say, I wish I had what you had. I wish I, was as, I, wish I were as nice as you are. That's not me. So God causes me to have to do that. So here's a man who is bleeding. He is half dead. Well, he's not my type. Remember, there was, a, there was a woman I was sitting in an airport, and this woman was just covered. I mean covered in tattoos. And she was just wearing a tank top. So everything was just covered in tattoos. And she had this wild hairstyle and, and, and pierced all over. And, I'm, and she was up at the counter. We were sitting by the... Um, the um, uh, I was just sitting, waiting to get on the flight. So this is the counter right, right, right by the, the entrance there to the, to the jetway. And I looked at her and I said, Lord, if you cause me to sit next to her, if she's sitting, I will share the gospel with her. And lo and behold, guess who I ended up sitting next to? And I started sharing with her and I opened up the gospel to her. Now, she wasn't my type. I don't have a single piercing on my body. I have no tattoos on my body. And, and, and I keep my hair, I try to keep it just the normal, regular haircut. So she wasn't my type. 
But she opened right up. Just, just opened right up to the Gospel. If you pray, Lord, this is hard for me. It is hard for me to walk up and walk up to a table and say, Hi, do you mind if I sit with you? You pray, Lord, give me boldness. Lord, give me boldness to do this. And you try that. You try reaching out to somebody that you would not normally. And then, you will be the Samaritan. Then you will be the Samaritan. And if you don't, Jesus said, you are the priest and you are the Levite who walks by on the other side of the road and who justifies yourself because I'm somehow holy, because I'm a priest, I'm a Levite, I'm a scholar of the law. I'm somehow holy. You cross by on the other side of the road, that's who you are. You are the hypocrite. I am a hypocrite. If I don't take of my money and of my resources and of my time to minister the gospel, to minister into the lives of people that God has placed around me, I am a hypocrite if I do not do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for the challenge that you have given us in your word. Thank you, Lord, for challenging us. Father, I pray for these young people that you would give them boldness to step out to do something which in themselves is not easy. And also that you would give them the love of Christ, that they would see in these people the love of Jesus, the love of Jesus, and that you would give them your compassion and your heart. Father, that you would cause them to open up their wallets, their purses, and their days and their time to be a service to the body of Christ, to reach out to others so that those who are dead around them spiritually that they could minister into those wounds. Father, have mercy on them, I pray. Lord, I pray that you would cause them to walk in a deeper way. In the name of Jesus. Amen.